Welcome to Different, the podcast that's helping to create a better world for neurotypicals. Hi, I'm Dr. Jane Savage. I'm a psychologist who has specialized in the diagnosis and treatment of neurotypical disorder for the last 25 years. Now that in itself makes me one of the world's preeminent experts on neurotypicals, but my expertise has also been shaped by my life outside of work. Now, I'm not suggesting that I'm neurotypical, not in the least, but I have many neurotypical friends. Some of them are yet to be diagnosed, but we know. I also grew up in a house with a parent who suffered from neurotypical disorder. In a way, I feel like my upbringing gave me so much exposure to the neurotypical ways of thinking and communicating that it made me bilingual. That's right. I grew up speaking normal and neurotypical, and I really feel like this has been an enormous help throughout my career. I decided to start this podcast because I noticed that there is a huge gap between how the normal population sees neurotypicality and what neurotypicality actually is. Now, the media has helped to raise some awareness of neurotypical disorder in recent years, These days, most people can identify neurotypical characters from TV shows such as Friends or Big Brother, but these neurotypical characters tend to perpetuate unhelpful stereotypes, which can cloud our understanding of what neurotypical disorder is, and it can lead to problems like neurotypical disorder being overlooked in the diagnostic process. This truly is a hidden disability. But did you know that as many as 98% of the population suffers from neurotypicality? That means that you might have someone in your life, a colleague or a friend perhaps, that is silently struggling with this disorder. I'm hoping that by listening to this podcast, you will learn how to recognize the symptoms of neurotypical disorder and will find out ways that you can help to support the neurotypicals in your life. Each episode is going to cover a different topic and at the end I'll answer your questions about neurotypical disorder. For details on how to send in your questions, just check the show notes. For today's episode, I thought that I would start by looking at how we define neurotypical disorder. I know we often hear people saying things like, aren't we all just a little neurotypical? And there are popular misconceptions about the idea that neurotypical disorder is being overdiagnosed because the criteria for diagnosis are somehow flexible or too broad. These things are not correct. In fact, there are strict diagnostic criteria that define neurotypical disorder set out in the DSM. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Now, I'm pretty sure there's no actual statistics in that book, but anyway, the point is that if someone doesn't meet the DSM criteria, they are not neurotypical. So I'm going to go through the diagnostic criteria for NT disorder, and I'll give you a few examples of how each symptom might present. Of course, I must stress that each symptom can present differently from one person to the other. I always like to say that if you've met one neurotypical, you've met one neurotypical. They're all unique individuals with their own way of being in the world. So even though the diagnostic criteria clearly define what neurotypical disorder is, The examples I'll be giving about common symptoms might not show up the same way for the neurotypicals in your life. Or, it is possible that some neurotypicals might attempt to hide or mask their symptoms, 
so you'll be less able to observe the features of neurotypical disorder in these people. You might even think of other examples about how the neurotypical in your life meets the diagnostic criteria through disordered thinking and challenging behaviour that's unique to them. So the DSM sets out two broad criteria for this particular illness. It has criteria A and criteria B, and then within each of those criteria there's a number of symptoms that an individual must experience in order to get the diagnosis of neurotypical disorder. So diagnostic criteria A is persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts. This symptom will manifest in three ways. The first way is deficits in social-emotional reciprocity, ranging from abnormal social approach and failure to remain engaged, particularly when conversations go deeper than surface-level pleasantries. Neurotypicals thrive in friendships that are able to maintain this almost superficial level of engagement, and they're most comfortable when very low expectations are placed on them to show a genuine interest in the complexity of other people. They will display strong obsessive traits when it comes to socialising and will seek out opportunities to socialise even when it interferes with other aspects of their life. So that all links with the next symptom, which is a failure to show interest in people who seem to fall outside of what the neurotypical has defined as socially acceptable. But don't forget that the definitions of social acceptability as understood by neurotypicals are part of the pathology of this disorder. Their ideas about who to interact with or how to form and maintain relationships are not based on facts or logic and are very much at odds with what we would consider normal social behaviour. This particular symptom can show up in any number of ways, from talking about people behind their backs to spreading rumours or excluding people from social events. And at the extreme end, we can see neurotypicals display physical aggression towards people whom they do not accept. This is because neurotypical individuals are strongly focused on some imagined social hierarchy. This delusion leads them to believe that there is some kind of pecking order that humans must strictly adhere to. When the symptoms of this deluded state are at their strongest, neurotypicals will look for ways to determine the so-called status of people around them, and they will make attempts to blend in with what they believe a high-status person looks like and how they would behave. This attempt at masking the social status they've imagined for themselves leads a neurotypical to engage in abnormal behaviours, like pretending to like the same things as other higher-ranking people, a fixation on wearing certain clothes, perhaps with a brand name, for example, and a strong desire, almost a compulsion, to follow vacuous social trends. It can be difficult for normal people to understand what's going on for neurotypicals when they're acting out like this, and we know that these types of behaviour can be quite damaging for the affected individuals and their peers. This is why we really need the government to commit funding and resources so that neurotypicals can have the support they need to help them manage their inappropriate thoughts and behaviours. But back to the final symptom from Criteria A in the DSM, this one says that there will be deficits in normal communicative behaviours that are used for social interaction. Examples of this could include a preoccupation with staring at the eyeballs of other people, 
inappropriate overuse of physical contact such as hugging, and the inability to use direct communication to say what they mean. This is a very common communication trait you might notice when interacting with an NT. They will hint at what they mean instead of saying it, and they will expect others to intuit what they are thinking based on any number of indirect signals, such as the use of silences in conversation, or inappropriate use of gestures such as eye-rolling or sighing. I recommend for all neurotypicals to spend at least some time with a speech therapist and a psychologist so that they can learn how to communicate in an honest, straightforward manner, like normal people do. Okay, so that's everything from criteria A. If someone ticks all the listed symptoms in A, then we move on to criteria B, which is an inability to tolerate normal levels of sameness and structure in everyday life, leading to risk-taking behaviour, such as making decisions based on emotions rather than logic, and to pathological needs of spontaneity. This will manifest in three ways. Starting with something that some people might really struggle to understand, because it's just so different to the way most people experience the world. I'm talking about sensory numbness. This term is used to describe a number of deficits in a range of sensory experiences that neurotypicals can have compared to the normal population. They show an unwillingness or an inability to notice or react to sensory aspects of the environment. Examples of this could include being unaffected in loud, unpredictable, crowded environments, failing to notice small details, and inability to focus on important or interesting things or sensory-seeking behaviour, such as wanting to visit pubs and clubs, particularly when other neurotypicals will be present. The next symptom that we will notice is pathological demand avoidance, specifically relating to routine. The neurotypical individual will insist on regular, unnecessary changes to their routine, and they'll become agitated when normal people try to help them by imposing routines on them. This can be an extremely frustrating situation for normal people who are just trying to help the neurotypical to achieve an efficient, stress-free life. Current research is starting to suggest that this extreme avoidance of routine could be a strategy to help them cope with their sensory numbness. And the final symptom we look out for is an unwillingness or an inability to focus which can lead to an individual failing to complete tasks or completing tasks to a much lower standard than that of their peers. Individuals can experience highly transitory interests in a range of topics, but never spend enough time on any of them to reach a level of expertise in any given area. In fact, the main reason that neurotypicals will even bother pursuing things like hobbies or a career is because they see it as a way to access opportunities to socialise. Clearly, this compulsion to seek out superficial social contact can be very disruptive in the classroom or workplace. But psychologists have found that using the opportunity to socialise as a reward for correct behaviour can be used as a strong motivator to help affected individuals focus on completing a less preferred task. It's just so exciting to have research like this happening more and more. It really inspires hope that one day neurotypicals will be able to fit in or assimilate into normal society so that they can live their best lives. 
Okay, that completes my summary of the diagnostic criteria for neurotypical disorder. But something I would like to mention, though, is the idea that there are different degrees of neurotypicality. You know, like maybe some people have it worse than others, or or that there are high-functioning NTs that don't really need that much support. I just have to say that this is completely wrong. All neurotypical people need a high level of support that is targeted at their individual needs and deficits so that they can experience even the tiniest bit of quality of life. Don't forget that this is a hidden disability, so it can be difficult to know the suffering any individual is living with every single day. I hope we can do away with the idea that there are high and low functioning NTs because it's just incorrect. Okay, so that wraps up the main part of today's episode, and it leads me into my favorite part, which is when I get to take questions from you, the listener. Today's question is from Harley in Robertson, and Harley says, Hi Jane, I'm neurotypical. I'm sorry to hear that, Harley. And although I have my challenges, I also quite enjoy some aspects of having neurotypical disorder, because I can do some things that other people might find difficult. I can go to the supermarket and stay there long enough to stock my pantry for a month without worry, and I'll even chat to the cashier for a while just to be friendly. None of my normal friends can do that. Sometimes I even think of my neurotypicality as a superpower. What do you think? Oh, look, Harley, I think it's great that you're trying to view your lifelong debilitating illness through a more positive lens. Sometimes all you can do is try to stay positive, even when you know you'll never experience the richness of life the way normal people do, because of your sensory numbness. But no one can take optimism and hope away from you, so I can get behind this. In fact, I've thought of another example of where having neurotypical disorder could be seen as a somewhat positive thing. A few years ago, I was out with one of my neurotypical friends. We were at the train station and the platform was absolutely packed. There were so many different sounds all competing with each other, like the clacking of ticket machines, people were announcing things over the loudspeaker, there were the brakes of trains, you get the idea. Anyway, a complete stranger came over to where I was standing with my friend and he started speaking to us. I could not understand what he wanted. I couldn't hear a thing he was saying over all the background noise that was competing with him and drowning his voice out. Then, remarkably, my neurotypical friend politely responded to this person, and the person went on their way. I could not believe that he could hear and understand what the stranger had said. Of course, we know that neurotypical brains are wired differently, and this makes it possible for them to somehow sort through all the different competing noises and focus just on what they need to hear. I can just imagine how awkward it would have been if my neurotypical friend wasn't there, and I was trying to navigate this uncomfortable and unexpected situation alone. So yes, I can see what you mean, Harley. There are some very specific situations where the deficits and deficiencies that neurotypicals suffer from could be seen as a positive, or, in your words, a superpower. Thanks for writing to me, Harley. If you would like to send in a question of your own, or if you'd like to suggest a topic that you'd like covered by this podcast, the details on how to do this are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Different. 
Tune in next time for a discussion about how to support neurotypicals in the workplace and for some strategies you can use to get the most out of them at work. Goodbye for now.